Hello, I'm Tommy Peeler, and this is Carefully Examining the Text. And in today's broadcast, we're going to be going over Psalm 15. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to take this opportunity and to make it where you can read with us. If you don't, just listen as closely as you can. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, a 1995 edition. And these are the words of the text. A Psalm of David, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? And who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Psalm 15 is a psalm that discusses the character needed to enter God's house. Some similar passages to this are Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6, and Isaiah 33, verses 14 through 16. They discuss the same type of subject, the entrance requirements necessary to enter God's house. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 23 verse 19 that David stationed gatekeepers at the house of the Lord so that no one would enter who was in any way unclean. Numbers 1 verses 47 through 54 has a similar statement. Prophets rebuked worshipers for living lives in reckless disregard of God's will and coming to worship at the temple. In Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 17, and Jeremiah 7, verses 1 through 15, God wants our whole lives to be given to Him. And what we see in this may fit the pattern of a question in verse 1 with the answer in verse 2 through the first part of verse 5 and then God's promise in the latter part of verse 5. Now, as we look at this text in verses uh, 1, the question is, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Who may abide? Who may dwell? The word dwell, the first verb, the first verb, the first verb is translated abide in the New American Standard Bible. And this is the verb form of the word that is used for the resident alien. And this is a word used in Psalm chapter 5, verse 4, Psalm 5, verse 4, when no evil dwells with you. No evil dwells 
with the Lord. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? The tent is a temporary structure, and the word abide is the word for a resident alien, for one who has a temporary dwelling. There is an intensification in the poetry of the second line as the question is asked, who may dwell on your holy hill? The hill is a solid structure, and the word dwell has more permanence than the first word translated abide in the original language. This is the word used for the Lord dwelling on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 in verse 16. It is the word used for God dwelling in the tabernacle in Exodus 25 and verse 8 and in Exodus 29 verses 45 and 46. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell in your holy hill? This is the question that is asked and the answer will follow in verses 2 through 5a. Now, sacrifices aren't mentioned here. That doesn't mean they weren't important for God's servant in the Old Testament. Leviticus 1 through 7 spends many chapters dealing with these. Doesn't mean they were not important. It doesn't deal with feast days. And again, they were very important. As you see from passages like Leviticus 23, the feast days were very, very important. But this deals with what we would describe as ethical characteristics or qualifications of the one who can dwell in God's presence. In verse 2, you find three positive requirements, and in verse 3, you find three negative ones, which all have the word not in Hebrew. But let's look at these positive requirements in verse 2. The text tells us that the one who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, is one who walks with integrity or whose walk is blameless some of your versions have this is a word used to describe Abraham in Genesis 17 verse 1 and it's used to describe Job repeatedly in the first two chapters in Job 1 1 in Job 1 8 and Job 2 and verse 3 the one who walks with integrity he can abide in God's tent and dwell in his holy hill. Also, one who works righteousness. Now, 14 and verse 4 talked about the workers of wickedness. The workers of wickedness can't dwell on God's holy hill. It is the one in verse 2 who works righteousness who can do this. In 15 verse 2, a third characteristic, you must walk blamelessly, you must do righteousness, and a third characteristic is uh, you must speak truth in your heart. 
When Psalm 12 verse 2 was condemning the godless people of that time, it says they speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. They speak falsehood. But in contrast to those who speak falsehood, here in 15 and verse 2 is one who speaks truth. So the one who may dwell in God's tent and abide in his holy hill is one who positively walks blamelessly or walks with integrity, who works or does righteousness, and one who speaks truth in his heart. And he is one, in verse 3, dis- defined negatively, who does not slander with his tongue. The word slander is connected to the Hebrew word for foot. It's connected to the word for foot. And this deals with one who lets his mouth do the walking, who slanders with his tongue, who speaks evil of other people with his words. The person who abides in God's tent, who dwells in his holy hill, does not do that. He doesn't let his tongue do the walking and simply try to destroy everyone else, everyone else with his mouth. Nor does he do evil to his neighbor. The Bible tells you if your neighbor is content to live at peace with you, then don't do him harm. You see that warning in Proverbs 3 in verses 27 through 30. Do not do him harm. Do not do him evil. He doesn't do evil to his neighbor, and he doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. He doesn't seek to, uh, to reproach him. Uh, he doesn't speak evil of him. And so this verse particularly deals with things that we can do with our tongue and harm we can do while the righteous person who abides in God's tent, who dwells in his holy place, walks blamelessly, works righteousness, and speaks truth. He doesn't slander. He doesn't do evil to his neighbor. He doesn't take up reproach against a friend. And in verse 4, there are a certain type of people that are appealing to him and a certain type of appealing a person from which from whom he shuns that he shuns in verse 4 in whose eyes a reprobate is despised but he honors those who fear the lord a reprobate is despised now we may have a hard time thinking that this word despise is used. I grant it, it is a strong word, as we will see in just a moment. But this text is emphasizing that there are certain kind of people that we deal with and we want to have associations with, and a certain kind of people we don't want to have associations with. 
with. That doesn't mean we wouldn't try to save them or wouldn't try to help them. But you can tell much about a person by the type of character they honor, by the type of people they are attracted to. You can tell a whole lot about them. And the one who abides in God's tent and dwells in his holy hill is one in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. And he honors those. He honors those who fear the Lord. The next verse says, He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, on first glance at this verse in the original language, it, it almost looks like he's, he's swearing to do hurt or to do evil. Uh, some of the ancient versions, like the Septuagint, translated in a way closer to our English translation. But the idea is he swears something that is painful for him to do. That's in the sense which he's doing evil. He's doing something that uh, may be difficult for him and laborious for him, and he swears that. And he keeps his word. He does it. He keeps his promise. He is a person of character. And he does not, in verse 5, put out his money at interest. Charging interest is something that is strictly forbidden in the Old Testament. It is an issue um, that is dealt with in several passages of Scripture. Uh, some of those passages where this is dealt with are passages like Exodus 22 and verse 25 through 27, uh, Deuteronomy 23, verses 19 and 20, uh, Ezekiel 18 and verse 8 deal with this. Uh, in the ancient world, you did not make commercial loans. You did not lend money to one who was hoping to invest that and make a great bundle for himself. If one borrowed money, he was poor. And the Bible says in dealing with your fellow Israelites, do not charge them interest. The law, we find some ancient law codes where the interest rate was 20% or 50% or percent. But in the Bible, God says, don't charge him interest. Don't use his poverty to take advantage of him. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He doesn't get rich at someone else's expense to someone else's pain and sorrow. He doesn't do that. And the Bible says the one who does these things will never be shaken. That idea of being shaken or not being shaken was in 13, 13 verse 4. And it will appear in the next psalm in 16 verse 8. The person who lives this noble life 
will not be shaken. And what does that mean? Because obviously in Psalm 13, 4, the writer feared that he was being shaken. But the idea is this is a stable basis on which to live your life doing what this psalm asks. Now, I want to ask a question. Does Psalm 15 describe a legalistic approach to life? That somehow these people deserve entrance into God's presence. Is that what this passage is saying? We must take Scripture as a whole. And we see obviously that is not the case. In Psalm 5 verse 7 the psalmist hopes to enter God's house by his loving kindness. And he asks, O oh Lord, if you mark iniquities, who could stand? In Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, none could stand before God. The psalms emphasize that we are granted entrance into his presence by his mercy and by His grace. But on the other hand, does that not demand that we live in a certain way to continue to maintain that relationship? Yes, churches are open to whosoever will. Whatever problem, whatever difficulty, and whatever sin you struggle with, they are opening, they're open to your presence. But I want to tell you this, you're going to be changed by the experience. If you're going to remain in God's presence while we take you just as you are, you're going to be transformed into His image in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Doesn't God's presence demand holiness on our part? If moral perfection were required, none of us could worship. But if holiness is not required, what, what then are we really demonstrating? Are we really demonstrating God's character the way that we should. I probably could have worded that somewhat better. I hope you get the basic gist that God loves us and God can forgive any sin. But God redeemed us from sin and Jesus died for our sins so that we don't continue in our sin. Now, looking at Psalm 15, in Psalm 15, how do we see Jesus here? Well, all the moral requirements, Jesus fits perfectly. Jesus perfectly fulfills all these moral requirements. And yet, Jesus experienced the mistreatment that goes with many of these words. For example, the godly man, the righteous man, the man who abides in God's tent. 
In verse 3, he does not take up a reproach against a friend, and yet that word reproach is often used for how Jesus was treated. In Psalm 22, 6, Psalm 69, it's used some four times. In verse 4, the Bible tells us about a reprobate being despised. But this is the same word used in Isaiah 53, verse 3, to talk about Jesus being despised and rejected of men. In other words, Jesus experienced all the wrong kinds of treatment that Psalm 15 discourages and warns against. And the word that's translated integrity in the New American Standard and blameless in some of your versions in Psalm 15 verse 2 is a word that's used to refer to the sacrifice of Christ in Hebrews 9 verse 14 and 1 Peter 1 and verse 19. Of course, that term used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's temple, of God's tent. Jesus experienced all the wrongs that Psalm 15 warns against so that you and I could be saved and could enter his presence. May the Lord continue to bless you and keep you.